Well, good morning once again. We are now in the 12th day of the new year. Can you imagine that? I mean, all the buildup and all the, you know, everything for the holidays and, you know, that's passed. The new year's passed. We are 12 days into the new year and we're starting this new year with a series called Selfless. Um, we're currently in week two. And we're doing this series because we live in a society that is obsessed with self. We live in a society where individualism is deified. And as a result, our lives just get busier and busier, become more and more about us. Our lives become more and more complicated. And what happens when that happens is often our, our, our immediate circle that surrounds us gets smaller and smaller, and people outside of that often get left behind. I mean, the distance between us and the people around us gets greater and greater, and we sometimes can become blind to the struggles of people sitting right next to us because we're so focused on what's going on in our own lives, and life becomes all about me instead of about us. I love what Brian was talking about earlier. It's, it's not about me. You know, it's not about me up here. It's not, it's about us. See, God never intended for life to revolve around any individual. God's intent was always that we would live in community with each other. And as you read through the Bible, it becomes evident that in God's economy, Community is valued over self. Community is valued over self. So we're starting the new year off with this series, Selfless. Last week we talked about how this relates to being bold in our witness and sharing the gospel and sharing Christ with, with others. And our faith in Christ is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something that we should keep to ourselves, that we are supposed to keep to ourselves. It's good news and we are meant to share it in spite of a culture that increasingly tries to tell us to keep silent about our faith, tells us it's a private thing, keep it between you and God, you know, it's not to be made public, and that's so contrary to what the Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we're supposed to go out and, 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 and share our faith and, and be vocal about it. Not obnoxious, but vocal. I mean, there is a difference. In his book, Postcards from Babylon, Brian Zond said this, the original Jesus movement was not a pietistic religion of private belief about how to go to heaven when you die. The original Jesus movement was a countercultural way of public life. A countercultural way of public life. I love how he puts that. The truth that we've stated over and over is it's not about us. You know, we looked at the scripture last week where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And today we're looking at how we can become selfless through this area of serving others. <clears throat> One day Jesus was talking to a crowd of people. And people were crowding around him. He's talking to them. He's warning them to give out, you know, self-promotion and and trying to impress others and warning him against all that. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, guys, the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. That's totally countercultural. 
See, our culture values climbing to the top of the ladder. It's all about power. It's all about climbing over people and becoming the top dog, and that's how you become great. And, but it's not like that in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the greatest one isn't the one at the top. The greatest one is the one that's serving. He's not fighting for the best seat at the table, but he's serving those at the table. And, and, and it's not just talking about what we may be doing at the moment. I mean, anybody can serve some of the time. can even be used as a means to try to get ahead in an organization, you know, serving with an agenda. You know, I'm going to stick close to the top guy. I'm going to stick close to somebody that's influential. They're going to see me. They're going to have me around them while I'm serving them. And, and then they'll, they'll help me move closer to the top, you know, serving for a while with an agenda. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about has to do with who we are inside, has to do with what we are always doing, comes from, from what we're constantly or, or consistently doing. So the question is, we look at our lives, what am I consistently doing? What am I always doing? How would people describe me? If I were to talk to those closest to you, those who know you the best, what would they say you are always doing? Look at an example from the Bible. Acts chapter 9, we meet a woman named Tabitha. <coughs> Tabitha had a reputation, a good one. Why don't we always think a bad one when we say that? She had a good one, a good reputation. And, and listen to what it says in Acts 9.36. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Now, I would definitely go by Tabitha rather than... Dorcas, okay? Um, they both mean the same thing. They both mean gazelle, all right? But one has a little different connotation. Okay, so let's go with Tabitha. <laughs> and says she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. I want you to hear that. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. By the way, there isn't anybody here named Dorcas, is there? I... I I, I, I hope not. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Um, anyway, always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Her serving was, is defined by who she was. She was especially known for the clothing that she made and the help that she gave to the poor, the help that she gave to widows. It's what she was always doing, not just occasionally. It's what she was always doing. It was her lifestyle. Tabitha spent her life serving others. She was a faithful servant. Now, here's the interesting thing. She never set out to do anything but help others. She never set out to make a big name for herself. She never set out to, to you know, be somebody important. She never made it her goal to become well-known or popular or powerful or influential. But here's the irony of it all. Simply by faithfully serving others, she made a tremendous impact on people's lives. So much so that if you read Acts chapter 9, if you read the whole chapter, you see that when she died, her friends sent for Peter, sent over to, to Joppa for Peter and said, hey, come quick. You know, it's, it, it's Tabitha, come quick. And he comes over and he ends up raising her from the dead. All right? I mean, you think 
you get nervous praying for somebody for healing like we did a moment ago here. So what if it doesn't happen? What if you're, you know, doing this, you know, raising somebody from the dead? So anyway, she, she, uh, they, they, they sent for Peter, and he came, and he raised her from the dead. And I'm sure when she was raised from the dead, she just picked up right where she left off and just continued to serve because it's who she was. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be that kind of faithful servant. I want to be one, become one who faithfully serves like that all the time. That's my lifestyle. That's what I'm known for. So how do I do that? How, 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 how do we do that? How do we become that kind of a faithful servant that's known for that? We're going to look at three pictures in Scripture that illustrate three simple ways that you and I can become faithful servants like Tabitha. Let me give them to you. Briefly talk about each one. First off, let me, let me just give them to you. Here they are. I can bring a lunch. I can offer a ride. <coughs> and I can carry a towel. I can bring a lunch. I can offer a ride. And I can bring a towel or carry a towel. So let's go through them. Look at three different stories in the Bible. <coughs> Here's the first one. I can bring a lunch. I want you to think about King David. Before King David, the greatest king of all, you know, of Israel, before King David was King David, you know what he was? He was a little brother. He was a little brother. I can identify with that. I can identify. I grew up as, a, as one of five kids in our family. And guess where I was? Right in the middle they say the middle child's a forgotten child. I was right in the middle. Of course, in some ways I liked it because I could sit back and just not be noticed, you know, be in the background, and that's kind of what I prefer anyway. Anyway, but I was, I was right in the middle of two older, or, or right in the middle, and I had two older brothers, and, you know, we had some of the same things. I was in scouts uh, together with them and uh, Little League with, with one of them and so forth, and, and because they were older, I was always Little Shunk. Hey, Little Shunk. Hey, Little Shunk. There was Big Shunk, but then there was also Little Shunk. And, you know, one of them was always Big Shunk, and I was always Little Shunk. Of course, that changed when I got married and we had David. Then I was Big David, and he was Little David. So, sorry, David. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, that's, that, that's kind of what we have here. Only David wasn't in the middle of five. He was the youngest of eight because he had seven, seven older brothers. And his three oldest brothers were enlisted in Saul's army. So let's pick this up in 1 Samuel 17. One day, Jesse, that's David's dad, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. See how your brother's getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. This is before David was king. This is before David became a hero by killing the giant uh, Goliath, the Philistine, that was taunting the armies of Israel. The first step to David becoming a great hero, in fact, and the first step to his becoming King David was he brought a lunch. He brought a lunch. His older brothers were in the army. They had the swords. They had the shield. They had the armor. They had all the equipment. They were mighty warriors. Big, strong warriors. And David, on the other hand, well, 
he just brought lunch. His father told him to go run lunch out to your brothers. Find out how they're doing. Doesn't seem all that important, does it? I mean, you hear stories of, of you know, uh, 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 war heroes and these brave, mighty feats that they do and all this. And David brings lunch. Kind of insignificant. I mean, honestly, what kid, when you're a kid and someone asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What kid ever says, I want to deliver sandwiches when I grow up? Now, you might have a few that say, I want to eat sandwiches. But nobody says, I want to deliver sandwiches when I grow up. But David did what his father told him, and he delivered the food to his brothers. And here's the thing. It was in David's faithfully serving in that way, in the insignificant task of delivering food to his brothers, that put him in the place that led to him slaying the giant Goliath and delivering Israel. You ever thought about that? If David would have said, no, nah, I don't feel like that, you know, let him go get food somewhere else. I'm not going to go out. He never would have been in the place to hear the taunting of Goliath and to be in that place to slay Goliath and become the hero that he became. If he hadn't been faithfully serving in the insignificant task, delivering lunch, he never would have been in that place. Second thing, the way to become a faithful servant, another way is to offer a ride. <coughs> Follow me on this. More than 500 years before Jesus was born, a prophet named Zechariah prophesied about the king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is what he said, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Fast forward 500 years from that. The time for this prophecy has come to be fulfilled. Jesus sends two of his disciples into a village and told them as they enter the village, he says, you're going to see a donkey on the side of the road. As you enter the village, untie the donkey and bring it here to me. And then he says in, in Luke 19, 31, if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So the disciples go into the village they see the colt tied there just as Jesus said they would. And as they untie it, the owner says, Hey, what are you doing with my colt? What are you doing untying that? Let's stop and think about that for a moment. I wonder what must have been going through the mind of that guy who saw someone untying his donkey. I mean, imagine if that was today. Jesus speaks to two of his disciples. Hey, I want you to go over to Ellettsville. And as you enter, you're going to see a brand new Ford Edge parked by the side of the road <laughs> with keys in it. Not a 20-year-old Buick LeSabre. Brand new Ford Edge. I mean, think about it. The colt had never been ridden on before. 
So it wasn't some broken down little animal that was, you know, it, 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 it had never been ridden on. Never been titled. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Didn't even have a plate on the back. You know, and he says, I, and say, I, I want you to start it up and bring it here. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, tell them the Lord needs it. Put yourself in that place. Seriously, put yourself in the place of the owner of the donkey. What would you say? What I think is amazing about that story is that the guy let him take the donkey. Seriously? What if that was you? Would you let him take the donkey? Just because somebody came up and said, hey, the Lord needs him. Oh, what does he need him for? Why does it have to be my donkey? Doesn't he have his own? What's going to happen to it when he's done with it? Am I going to get it back? <laughs> As a servant, we and all that we have is at the disposal of our master. Lord, if you want to use something that I have, then it's yours. The servant's primary concern is who he is serving. It's not what he has. His life is oriented, his whole life is oriented toward his master and what his master wants. Offer a ride. Bring a lunch, offer a ride. The third thing is carry a towel. Here's a scene. It's evening. <clears throat> Jesus is upstairs with his disciples. They're gathered around the table for dinner. He knows that he's about to be betrayed and handed over to the authorities by one of them. He knows that. His time left with the disciples is very limited. We know from Luke's gospel that an argument had broken out among the disciples that evening about which of them was the greatest. I mean, after three years of sharing life and sharing ministry with the disciples, they still didn't get it. I mean, what else could Jesus do to get through to them? John 13, we read, So he got up from the table, took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around him. Let's not let the significance of what was going on escape us here. This was a servant's job. It was not a fun job. Have you ever been a part of a foot washing service? Raise your hand if you have. Some churches do that, you know, um, we do car washes, but some churches do foot washing services where you take off your shoes, stick your feet in a basin of water, and somebody washes them, and then you wash somebody else's. 
Now, usually when that happens in a church service today, the people are told ahead of time, don't worry, we're never going to spring that on you. The people are told that ahead of time so they wear good socks without holes in them. They wash their feet right before they come to church, put on a pair of shoes that maybe they haven't worn for a couple of weeks because they're good and aired out, so, and, and, and they're praying that this gets done early in the service instead of later, okay? This was not like that. These guys had been walking through the streets where animals walk. You ever watch in a parade when there's animals and there's that guy that walks along behind and he's got a little scooper thing and a, what looks like a dustpan and is kind of like, yeah, that guy wasn't there. So they're walking in all kinds of filth. It's crusting their feet. I mean, just the dust alone would have been bad and then whatever was mixed with it. And, geez, and, and, and when they entered the house, it's the servant's job to wash their feet before they go in. And we're not talking about taking your shoes off at the door. We're talking washing their feet. But nobody did that. So Jesus set an example. He said, guys, this is what I want you to do. And it wasn't about necessarily just washing feet. The point of it was, I want you guys to serve one another. I want you to serve each other. There's ways we do that today without having to, you know, Wash our feet. If it ever snows, we shovel somebody's driveway. In the summer, mow somebody's lawn. In the fall, rake their leaves. Wash their car. Bake them a meal. All kinds of ways that we serve each other. Watch the kids of a single parent so that they can have a few moments of sanity. The issue isn't who will become the greatest. The issue is, are you and I willing to pick up a towel and take on the role of a servant? And serve others, not with an agenda, but just for the sake of serving others out of love. See, are we looking to exalt ourselves or are we willing to humble ourselves? And that's the question each one of us must answer. In whose hand is the towel? Is it in the hand of others always serving us? Or is it in our hand as we serve others? How can we tell? Now there's a few simple questions for you. One, does it matter to me who gets the credit for something? I mean, if, if I have to get it, the credit for something, then am I really the one serving? 
Am I doing something to get the credit for it, or am I doing something just because I'm serving? Another question is when I see something that needs to be done, do I do it without making a big deal of it, or do I say, not my job? Or do I just do it? I watched one time as the someone who was very high up in a uh, corporate system walked out of their business and started walking to their car. And as they're walking along, over there was one of those plastic water bottles like that one right there. And it was just laying on the ground. Car was over here. Walks out of the door, looks, and without even stopping to think, walked over, picked it up, put it in the trash, then went to their car. Was that their job? No. Could have easily just called another worker and said, hey, can you pick that up? Looks bad. But no. Someone with a servant's heart sees what needs to be done and doesn't, does it without looking for any kind of recognition or accolades or Another question is, first two are who doesn't matter to, who gets to me, who gets the credit. When I see something, second, when I see something that needs to be done, do I do it without making a big deal or say it's not my job? And three, do I consider certain jobs to be beneath me? Are there certain jobs that are beneath me? Honestly, I've known pastors that have staff that will, I mean, carry their briefcase, you know, on trips with them or, you know, serving them every, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, I can carry my own stuff. I don't want to ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do. I know another pastor, he pastored a large church um, and I, I, like a 3,000 member church. And you know what he would keep in his car? He would keep a toilet cleaning kit in his car when he traveled. Some of you have met Steve Shogren. He, he spoke here once before a number of years ago. He would carry a toilet cleaning kit and when he would go into a gas station to stop for gas, he would take it in and he'd just clean the restrooms. Wasn't beneath him. How many would say that most gas station restrooms need to be cleaned? You know? Um, do I consider certain jobs to be beneath me? See, if we're going to be like Jesus, then it's essential that we learn to faithfully serve. That's what Jesus spent his whole life doing. 
is serving. Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you must be a servant. And there's no one greater than Jesus who spent his life setting the example for us, serving others. Let's have our worship team come up. I want us to be thinking this week, what can we do this week? We talked about bringing a lunch, offering a ride, carrying a towel. In what way can we translate that into our lives this week? What way can we begin to serve the people around us? How can we more faithfully serve our friends, family, and not just them, but our community as a whole? I'm not talking about just doing nice things for your friends. Think about, what do you want to be known for always doing? What do you want to be known? Remember Tabitha? She's always doing kind things for other people, taking care of the poor. What do you want, if that was you, what would be said about you? What do you want to be said about you? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to follow in your example of serving. We want to become less about ourselves and more about you and others. So show us how we can bring a lunch. Lord, make our hearts willing to do the seemingly insignificant things in serving others. Show us how we can offer a ride or, Lord, be willing to offer whatever we have for your use. When you're speaking to us, Lord, I'm not talking about pressure from others. I'm talking about you. When you speak to us and you put your finger on something of ours and say, I want to use that in this way. Give us ears to hear that. Give us hearts willing to obey that. And Lord, may we always carry a towel, being willing to do whatever is needed, regardless of how humbling it may be, regardless of its whether it's our quote-unquote responsibility or not. May we always be carrying that towel. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to serve. Lead. I'd like to invite our prayer team to come forward. And as we dismiss, if there's anyone that would like prayer for anything, uh, come on up and let somebody, uh, let somebody pray for you. Now, hold out your hands. I want to give you a blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Remember, Wednesday night, family night, 630.